0: Welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat HaShavua over the course of six podcasts during the week in which we read that parasha. My name is Yitzhak Yat Shalom. I'm delighted to be studying the second half of Sefer Shmot with you. We are now towards the beginning of Parashat Mishpatim, uh, picking it up in Parak Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Chaf. Up until now... We've dealt with the introductory laws of Eved Ivri and Ammaha Ivriyah. We discussed a little bit about why they would come first, and then broader laws dealing with murder, both intentional and inadvertent. Uh, That that section concluded with laws of an attempted murder uh, or a near murder that led only to an injury and the uh, payments involved there. Uh, keeping that in mind as we look at the next section, which really does deal with avadim, uh, continues to deal with avadim, but avadim of a different sort as we will see. Pasuk uh, Chaf, So if a man strikes his slave or his slave girl with a staff... And the the slave, or the slave girl, dies right there under his hand, meaning as a direct result of the blow. Nakom He shall be avenged, which implies that the master is going to be killed for the killing of this slave. Now we would assume, of course, that this is referring to an Eved Ivri, a Jewish slave who is otherwise a regular Jew, but just has had to sell himself into slavery. It leaves us with a little bit of a problem of Amato, Although, back in Pasuk Zion, we referred to the, the young girl who was sold by her father uh, as an ama, nonetheless, the, implica- the sense here is that she is somewhat grown, but not necessarily. However, we'll see that this is not the case. In Pasuk Chafaleth, which is the second half of this parasha, Ach, im yom o lo yukam ki if he stands for two days, for a day or two days, uh, <coughs> then he shall not be avenged because he is the property or the literally the silver or the money of the master. And what does this mean? So first of all, there's a special halacha here called Din Yom Oyomayim, the law of the day or the two days. So right away, if the Rashi quotes here, the Midrash halacha that says, if the slave were to stand up for one day and you're already off the hook. Why well, mention two days? The answer is yom Shahukiomaim, a day which is like two days, or rather two days which are like a day. and what's that? That's 24 hours. Because if you strike an E, let's say at 10 in the morning and you get 24 hours, that's over the course of two different days, but it's one day. So that means there's a 24 hour rule, which is if you strike him and he doesn't die within the first 24 hours, then afterwards when he dies, you're not held liable. So this cannot be an evadivri, because an evadivri, as we've already seen and we'll see further on, in Pashat Bahar, is treated exactly like a regular Jew with only one stipulation, which is, which is the ability of the master to give him a non-Jewish slave girl to marry and to have children with. And so therefore, since this law of Yom O'Yomayim does not apply to any other Jew, it certainly can't apply to an evadivri, and therefore, this must be what we call an Eved knani, a non-Jewish slave that is either bought in the slave market, captured in war, or in other circumstances of that sort. And therefore, because chaspoh, because he's really the property of the owner, therefore the owner is to some extent within his rights to hit him. And therefore, if the blow was too hard and ultimately led to his death, but it was not immediate then the assumption is that this was not an intentional killing. Now, of course, an intentional killing of a slave is a little bit hard to understand because the slave is, as the pasuk says, the property of the owner. He's destroying his own property by doing that. So whether it was that he was disciplining the slave and hit him too hard or that he lost his temper Against the slave, either way, it was not an intentional thing, as can be seen from the fact that the slave did survive for at least twenty-four hours. Okay, we now move to a related area of torts. If two men are fighting, and they strike. They crash into a pregnant woman, and her children come out, meaning she miscarries. But there is no tragedy. So if she loses the children, that's called not a tragedy. What is the tragedy? We will see in a minute, although we can certainly assume it means that she died. Then what happens? Now the language here is a little bit confusing because in the first half of the Pasuk that created the situation, the circumstance, Men fight, and they, in the plural, crash into this woman, and she loses her child. Then he shall be punished, as the husband places upon him, meaning that there's an appraisal done, and the wronged party here is actually the husband, and it will be paid in court. Now, what this, the, odd, the oddity of the language is that there are two men fighting here, and they crash into the woman, and they cause the, uh, the tragedy, the miscarriage. And nonetheless, there's one person who's being punished here. So there's several ways to parse this. One is the simple way, which is two men are fighting, but ultimately it's actually one of them that crashed into her. And so that's the one who's going to pay Second possibility is to say anosh which each one of them is going to be punished and is going to pay for the, uh, for the loss of the children uh, to the husband. Um, the former way seems to be more preferred, just on a reality base. But the parasha continues. However, if there is an ason, a tragedy, then you take a life for a life. this is difficult given the circumstances because what this is saying is the man who crashes into her and she dies, he will be put to death, which means that he's being executed for murder. However, the circumstance that we read about here was not a circumstance of intentional murder, but rather seemingly an accident. So we have to posit that added into the circumstance that's described here is testimony to actual intent on the attacker's part to really harm her or to kill her. And then we get this very famous line of Lex Talionis, which is, ayin, tachat ayin, shein, tachat shein, yad, tachat yad, regel, tachat ragel. kvia tachat kvia, petza, tachat patsa, chabura, tachat chabura. So in these two psukim, the rule of lex talionis, of retaliatory law, is presented, which literally means an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, a leg for a leg, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a grievous wound for a grievous wound. And what that seems to imply is that if somebody harms another person, so we had nefesh tachat nefesh, which we take literally, You took a life, we take your life. It seems here that if your actions led to somebody's losing their eye, we take out your eye. And the same with all the rest of them. In the Pasuk Hafei, if you cause somebody to be burned, that will burn you, etc. However, as we are aware, Ayin Tachat Ayin is immediately translated halachically into mamon, meaning there is a financial payment for the loss of the eye, and not the real loss of the eye. This is a staple of rabbinic tort law and occupies a discussion at the beginning of the eighth parakel of Bavakama at great length offering numerous arguments why ayin Takadayan cannot be taken literally. One of the classic arguments of Ayin Tachanayin, not being taken literally that's presented in the Gemara there is that really uh, getting a, an in-kind punishment is not real uh, retribution in an accurate way. Because when two people were fighting and somebody hit somebody else and knocked out their eye, it was something that nobody expected to happen. There was no anxiety in advance. It was just a terrible tragedy that happened. If the sentence is that we're then going to take your eye out, then there is the added terrifying anxiety leading up to the moment of the sentencing and the execution of the of the uh, sentence. And that is way more stringent and way harsher, which means ain ta'chadayin is something of an impossibility if we mean to really exact justice in that way. And therefore it's understood to mean to mean mamon. In the next parasha, notice, by the way, that all of these parashot, everything that we've had from the beginning, is caught, is presented casuistically, meaning, if such a circumstance happens, this is what you do. None of it is presented apodictically, as we saw in the Aseret HaDibrot, lo tirtzach, lo tinaf, lo tignov, etc., as ap, uh, absolute laws of prohibition, but rather of circumstances. If this happens, then this is what you do, even when the circumstance that happens is a clear violation of the law from earlier, such as a man murders somebody else. But we don't say don't murder, we say if you murder, then this is what happens, we take you away from these back to kill you, etc. This is known as casuistic law. Most of the Near East codes, and we'll talk about them more in the next two podcasts, uh, most of the Near Eastern law codes that we have from the period of the second millennium BCE, the period of the Avot and the period of the Torah are almost exclusively presented in casuistic form. The Torah does introduce the apodictive form as well, as we saw in the de wrote, but here we're going in the normal fashion of a law code, which is if this particular thing happens, then this is how the court is to deal with it. And so the next two psukim, Chavam although they are separated as separate parashot stumot, nonetheless, are of a kind. If a man strikes the eye of his slave, or the eye of his slave girl, and destroys it, he has to send him free in lieu of, or in place of, the, the eye. And the next pasuk, if he knocks out the tooth of his slave or of his slave girl, he sends him free in lieu of that tooth. Now, um, these two laws, again, we have to ask the question, what kind of Eved are we dealing with? Are we dealing with an Eved Ivri, with which we opened our parashah, or an Evid Kana'ani who was introduced more recently. And the conclusion is fairly obvious. It's an Evid Kana'ani. Because again, an Evid Ivri is treated both textually and halachically as 100% as a fellow Jew with all the rights and all the responsibilities of a Jew with again the one exception of being married to a Shifcha Kana'anit and having children with her. And as such, if a Jew were to strike another Jew and knock his eye out, then he'd have to pay reparations. We just saw it. Ayin Ayin. But to have a payment which, really, in some cases, is far more excessive than the actual damage, which is to let the Evid go, is something that doesn't really make sense in the context of an Evid Ivri. And therefore, we have to say that this is a special fine relating to an Evid Knani or Shifcha Knanit, that if the master uh, goes overboard in his disciplining or uses the Evid, sorry for the colloquialism, but as a punching bag. That he loses the eved as a result, and the eved is now free. Now, what kind of life is it for an eved who is half blind, uh, and now has to go find work? That's not necessarily a great thing, but hopefully, this is a deterrent against masters behaving that way against their avadim. Uh, important footnote here, uh, and again, uh, comparing mishpatim with the ancient law texts that we have uh, from the from the Near East. Uh, we find that in several of the legal texts, there are there's mention of a uh, of a practice of slave owners branding their slaves by physically disfiguring them, which, if you think about it, is a very odd and somewhat counterproductive move, because you want your eved to be as healthy as possible to be able to do good work, and there's even record in one of the law codes of an eved being branded by having his eye. Taken out, and it seems that the that it's against this kind of behavior that the Torah specifically legislates against uh, taking the eved's eye out, and therefore the consequence of taking his eye out is that you lose the eved, uh, you lose the you lose the eved totally. Uh, halachically, <coughs> the uh, the shein and the ayin uh, seemingly present a case of shnei k'tuvim abayim ke'achad. We have a general rule in Halachic Midrash, which is that when the Torah states the same concept in two circumstances, it intends for that to be a closed circle and not to be able to apply that, that concept anywhere else. And the phrase is, Shnei ketubim abayim k'achan and the thinking behind it is that if the Torah intended a concept to be universally universal and universally applied, it would have said it once. The fact that it says it twice implies that it only applies to those mm-hmm. two cases. However, if we could identify why we could not figure one out from the other, then we would say, They are both needed, and as a result, we would then justify both psukim, and then have the concept become a universal. The Gemara and Kiddushin and the Mechilta here, the Midrash Halakha, identify what we know about a Shein as opposed to an Ayin. What we know about an Ayin as opposed to a Shein. An Ayin, of course, is something that is exposed as opposed to a Shein, which is typically covered up. A Shein, on the other hand, is something that, uh, that you are not necessarily born with. An Ayin is. Each one of them has their unique characteristics. And as a result... This principle then becomes expanded to 24 different limbs on a person's body that if, as an evid, they were to be uh, lost by the master's actions, uh, then they would go free. So it's not limited to the eye or to the tooth. We now move into another area of law, which, again, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, we're to break things up in parashat mishpatim is not a simple matter. Um... But uh, up until now, we've been dealing with damages that are done by a person to a person. And he's And And uh, we started with murder, and then with what seemed like attempted murder, and now with violence that gone awry, either the pregnant woman losing her child, or miscarrying, or the master striking his evid, Now we move into carefully and kind of subtly into another area, which is nizkei mamon, damage done by your property. But the very beginning of the parashah of nizke mamon, which will be the end of what we do in this podcast, is the section in which my property damages a person. shor et ish o et isha If a person's ox, and again it's casuistic, if a person's ox gores a man or a woman and they die, Sakol Yisakel Hashor. Now, sakol Yisakel is a phrase we heard in last week's Parashai in Yitro, in the preparation of Matan Torah, that he shall surely be stoned. And his meat cannot be eaten. And what this translates to in Tehalachically is that even if the owner were to somehow sneak in and give proper shechitah, to this ox before it was stoned, it is still not only asur achila; it's actually asur hanaa. not that he get any benefit from it. Famously, shor ha'niskal is one of the isurei hanaa. However, uva'al ha'shor Naki, the owner of the ox is off the hook. His ox killed somebody, but <clears throat> we are going to find out in a moment that the ox in question was a tame, domestic, docile ox up until this point, and they went crazy and killed somebody. However, in pasuk chavteh, ve'im shor nagachu mitmol shilshom, v'u ad biv'alav velo yishmerenu, ve'hemit yisho yishah, hashor yisakel v'gam ba'alav yumat. So this is relating to the previous pasuk and saying, however, if the shor was a shor nagach, meaning a goring ox, mitmol shilshom, meaning literally from yesterday or the day before. Now, the is a biblical uh, idiom, which means just since ever. <clears throat> we have lots of examples of T'mol used that way, which would mean if this was always a violent ox. That's a simple read of it. v'lo And he was attested to in front of his master, and the master didn't watch him, meaning the master was brought to court because this ox had committed acts of violence in the past, and he was warned about it. And he still didn't watch it. And then the ox got it when it got out and killed somebody. Again, the ox is killed because he killed a person. And in this case, the owner is also killed. Now, is the owner really killed? Well, we find right out right away that he's not. If there is a kofir, a kofir here being a ransom payment. That is pay, put on him, and Yushat Alav is the same word as we had earlier with the miscarriage. Hashayashita Alav bala So, if there's an appraisal of Kofar, then Atan Pidyon Navsho, then he pays the redemption of his own life. Yichol Alav. However much is established as the payment. Now, whose value is he paying? This leads to a, a, a well-known machloka between Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Ishmael says the, that we pay which means the value of the life of the fellow who died because it's essentially a reparation. And Rabbi Akiva says, no, it's the main mazik. you're paying to redeem your life. Therefore, it's the value of your life that you have to pay, the value of the mazik, of the attacker, meaning the owner of the ox in this case. And then we end with two short pieces that relate to this tragic circumstance of an ox, read any animal, going out and killing uh, um, a, a, a human being. So whether it's a boy or a girl who is killed, and it's not just an isho isha who's an adult, but even a child, ka Yaselo. And there we get again to the word mishpat that we had in our first line, and here mishpat means as it did in the first line, and not as it did in the story of the Yama this rule, this rule applies even if the ox kills a child, However, if the shore kills an evid or amah, and now this again we will see is an evid kanaani, because an evid ivri is just like a regular Jew and there wouldn't be any distinct law. What's the halacha if my ox goes out and kills an evid? <clears throat> you have to pay 30 shkalim, 30, t- 30 shkalim of silver. Yitain la donav give to the master, meaning the owner of the slave who was killed. For Yisakel, and the uh, ox himself is stoned, and and because he killed a person. So what we see in this longest longest par- longest parsha, and it's the longest parsha that we've had since the Yomai is that an ox killing a person breaks down really into five different circumstances one is kills an adult person was a short time and never committed an act, uh, uh, violence before in that case uh, he is killed but the owner is off the hook he had no way to stop it he had no way to know it was going to happen if on the other hand it's a shor nagachu mit shom and again mit shil shom literally means from yesterday and the day before but it's an idiom for forever however halachically we actually read it literally and we say, mit shom means three days ago and two days ago, which means this is the third or possibly the fourth time he's committed an act of violence against people. And therefore he is called a shor mu'ad Adam, who has already been attested to be violent against people. And the owner didn't watch him. And then he's, he's killed and the master also theoretically should die. Im yushat alav, however... Uh, Im Kofar, and whether the Im here means if, or whether this is one of those examples where Im is not Rishud, like some of the Rishonim point out here, but meaning that indeed what we will do is place a ransom payment on him. Uh, He doesn't have the option of saying, no, I'll take the death penalty. There is no death penalty here. He pays his way out. He pays a ransom, however much is placed on him. And then we say this entire set of rules, for short time in muad apply whether the victim was a man or a woman as stipulated or a boy or a girl. And then we said, however, there's a unique payment system that happens if the shore kills an evid, meaning somebody else's evid. Now I've deprived that person of, a, of a, a financial resource, and therefore I owe the owner of the evid that was killed 30 shkaleem. 30 shkalim, parenthetically, if we look into the law codes from the chitim, from the which roughly from the time of Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, we'll find that the value of a slave in, rough, in those times really was 30 shkalim of silver, uh, as evidenced by the law that if uh, somebody, does somebody a human being, kills the slave of another fellow, that that's the amount that he has to pay him to indemnify him for the loss. We're going to pick it up in the next podcast, right at this point in Parak Alam and Gimel, When we continue with Niskei Ma'mon, however, Niskei Ma'mon takes on a different shading, damage is done by your property, because starting with the next pasuk, we'll see property that damages somebody else's property. Up until now, we dealt with a person hurting a person, and then with a property hurting a person, my ox killing somebody. We're now going to move towards Niskei Ma'mon in the purest sense, when property damages property, and then we'll shift back into people acting wrongfully against other people's property from a different angle. Okay, everybody should have a wonderful day, and we'll continue with our podcasting of Parshat Mishpatim tomorrow.